Welcome to Half Hour of Heterodoxy, featuring conversations with scholars and authors and ideas from diverse perspectives. Here's your host, Chris Martin. Do college students think that freedom of speech is important? Do they think their campus climate supports free expression? And do they think First Amendment freedoms are secure in today's America? These are some of the questions addressed in two representative surveys of college students in the United States. The surveys were conducted in 2016 and 2017, so they also reveal how rapidly attitudes changed between these years. Today, I'm talking to Jeff Jones of Gallup and David Askenazi, Director of Learning and Impact at the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, about their findings. I'd like to start by talking about the theoretical versus practical contrast and attitude toward free speech. You asked some theoretical questions about support for the right to free speech, but you also asked some practical questions about censorship. Jeff, can you elaborate on the contrast you found there? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, the whole genesis of this research, um, something that Knight was very interested in in doing, is a lot of the incidents that have happened on college campuses in the last few years. So we had the protests over race. Um, where they were denying the press access to cover um, the protest there. And then more recently, when controversial speakers have um, tried to speak on campus and um, students are actively trying to prevent that from happening, um, including using violence. So um, there's definitely some actions that students have taken that really bring into question um, how much they, they value um, free speech. So w- one of the key questions there is just, you know, at a very basic kind of theoretical level, how committed are they? Um, so the question we ask is um, designed to see whether they favor um, a more open campus that exposes students to a lot of different viewpoints, including those that um, they might not want to hear that could be offensive to them or, or hurtful to them? Or do they favor uh, more of a positive environment or a safe environment where um, the college takes steps to try and limit um, certain types of speech um, that they would be exposed to, including um, that which is offensive? So um, students overwhelmingly favor um, the open environment. So in, in the current poll, 70% said they favored the open environment where students are exposed to a lot of different types of speech, and 29% favored the positive environment. Um, that was a question that we asked in, in the first wave of this survey back in 2016, and the results um, are pretty similar. So that's kind of, you know, high level what they think, but then you know, when you get into it, um, they are willing, students are willing to entertain a lot of restrictions on free speech. So maybe the commitment isn't as strong as, as they indicate it is. So for example, um, when we talk about, you know, steps that um, colleges could take to limit offensive speech, um, students generally favor those steps. So um, 73% said that they favored um, restrictions on racial slurs or, um, know, a kind of biased um, speech. And then 60% favored bans on stereotypical costumes, which was, a you know, a, a controversy back in uh, 2015. So um, there is a bit of a question about, you know, how committed they are. Um, you know, and we, we asked too about um, free speech zones, which, you know, they do give um, students a chance to express themselves, but they do put limits on it. They can only, um, 
you know, protest or, or uh, express their views in certain areas of campus, and they usually have to get approval to do that. And and 83% uh, of students are in favor of that. They probably don't see the um, kind of limitations that those impose on free speech. And then speech codes, which are very controversial, half of students are in favor of those. So, you know, definitely in the abstract, they, they exhibit a, a commitment to free speech and wanting to hear different viewpoints, but, you know, in certain situations, they are willing to uh, accept limits, practical limitations on speech. I would echo what, what Jeff is saying, that the reason why this is so interesting and, and what I find really interesting is that uh, when you ask a student or, or anybody for that matter, if they if they support free speech, the, the automatic easy answer is yes. But what this particular research allows us to do, um, as Jeff said, is l- look at all these particular situations where um, there is the potential for there to be some uh, some friction between uh, the support for free speech and all these other activities that uh, tend to to be at the edges and at the at the margins of, of that conversation. Tell me a bit about what you found with regard to support for violence and shouting down speakers. Yeah, so that's kind of some of the more extreme um, behavior that we've seen in terms of um, trying to you know prevent people from speaking their mind, um, you know, if they have controversial things to say that people don't want to hear. Um, so the most extreme, obviously, is using violence, which we have seen in Berkeley and, and other places. And we asked students whether they thought it was ever acceptable um, to use violence. And 10% of students, so that's one in 10, said that it was, you know, at least sometimes acceptable to use violence. So, you know, that seems like kind of a a pretty high number. Um, other polls have found higher, and we can maybe talk about that later when we talk about the methods as to why that might be. Um, but you know, so that was one of the you know uh, key findings there. Another was um, shouting down speakers, which you know maybe a little less extreme um, than violence, but you know also you know designed to prevent um, speakers from talking. And um, 36% of um, students thought it was sometimes acceptable to shout down um, speakers when they were trying to talk. And was that an increase from the previous year? Well, those were new questions. Um, so they weren't asked in the previous one. Um, the previous survey, the 2016, it was kind of more focused on on media access because that was after the racial um, protests. Um, and a lot of the violence hadn't really occurred then. So this was kind of one of the new um, kind of free speech issues that was emerging that we, um, you know, surveyed in the second wave. Uh, to me, what's what's interesting about this is that uh, the small increase, or not, not increase, obviously, because it's a, it's a first time we're asking this question, but to me, what's interesting is the fact that there is this small, non-negligible number of people that believe that in some cases, these extreme measures are are acceptable. And it's not to say that uh, a majority of people are advocating for violence to suppress speech, uh, but I do think it's it's uh, alarming to think that there is a a small but non insignificant number of people that are open to uh, the idea of violence just to prevent somebody from speaking. And I would just add on that, if I could, that um, we we tried to analyze the data and see who these people were. And it wasn't really clear. There wasn't, there weren't any clear patterns by demographic subgroup or attitude or anything. So it's just this group of one in ten people who seem to think violence is okay, but it's really hard to kind of pinpoint exactly who those people are. 
But a larger concern is even if it's a small percentage, if those percentage are concentrated together and plan a protest, then they can successfully shout down a speaker. Well, especially especially when when you think about the the, the violence question, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take um, every single student in a university to to engage in violence for it to be bad. It, it it takes a small number for for violence to be problematic. So even though it's a small number, um, I think it's it's a good reason to 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 talk about it and to to discuss the potential implications of having a small uh, group of people that are saying that that this is acceptable. So in the second wave of the survey, that's the 2017 wave, in contrast to the 2016 wave, you found a pretty sharp drop in the percentage of people who think that the climate on campus is is a good climate for free expression. Tell me a bit more about that. All right. So so we asked um, in 2016 whether um, students agreed that the climate on their campus um, was such that it deterred people from speaking their mind. And we found um, a, a change in that. So more people are saying that the um, the climate deters speech than um, did. So um, 61% say that now, 54% did in 2016. Um, so that was one of the bigger changes um, that we saw between waves. I, I guess I would throw another one in there that was big is um, we asked students um, if they thought free speech, or actually not just free speech, but all First Amendment rights were secure in this country. And we saw declines across the board on all those. The biggest one was um, in terms of freedom of the press. And that's probably partly related to Donald Trump's tweets uh, attacking the press. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is Trump-driven. Um, a lot of what we saw, the change was among students on the left. Um, so I think, yeah, Trump and, and, you know, his approach to the media is, is driving a lot of that. And I would say that kind of pretty much, you know, uh, duplicates what we saw among national adults in our um, polling um, for the Gallup poll that, um, you know, we see uh, kind of um, reactions to the media from the left, but the, the right isn't really changing their views, which are kind of negative to begin with. The responses to to Trump are definitely something that that we see in, in the data. But the truth is, this decline in trust in, in the media and this declining perspective of, of what the media can do uh, is something that's been happening for a long time. And, and Knight has been uh, supporting the, the the study of of media and and the trust that people put in it uh, and its role in democracy and and how that interacts with with the right to free expression and the right to free press. Um, and, and we've seen these trends for, for quite a long time. I mean, Gallup's data shows that pretty clearly. But to see that decline in, in just the two or three years in between these, these college student surveys um, is definitely alarming and is definitely a reason to, to uh, consider what it means for the future as these students become working adults that are part of the workforce and, and are part of, of the, uh, the greater society in the country. Um, it's it's scary to think about that. In just two years, we see this small, but again, real decline in uh, the perspective of whether or not our right to free speech is is secure. And and in general, where we see this decline in the the perspective of how how good the the climate is to be able to have these civil conversations. We're seeing more of a divergence now nationally between Democrats. And Republicans, Democrats, trust in the media is actually going up in the Trump era. 
um, while Republicans was down and it, it's kind of staying down. Um, so, you know, actually in, in 2017, trust in the media went up, but it was all Democrats and probably because they see the media as the the main source of opposition to Trump since Republicans have control of Congress as well. That makes sense. So with regard to students and their perspectives on who has to self-censor their views on campus, tell me a bit about what you found there. Yeah, so we asked students, um, so, you know, we have the results about the climate, you know, not necessarily being, um, you know, one where everyone feels that they can speak freely. So we asked about, you know, well, what groups, what groups are there out there? Are all groups basically able to speak their mind freely or, you know, are certain groups kind of, you know, um, more kind of shut off and, and maybe more reluctant? So this is perceptions of how um, people think the climate is for other groups, not necessarily, you know, for themselves. But the biggest difference there was between um, political conservatives and political liberals. So 69% of students say that um, conservative students aren't able to speak freely on campus. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of um, college, most college campuses are probably more liberal politically. And, you know, if you're a conservative, you're in the minority and, um, you know, probably would be um, giving a dissenting view in, in most cases if, if you expressed your opinion. Um, so you contrast that 69%, which, you know, it's still a majority, so I don't want to make too much out of that. But when you look at some of the other groups and the natural contrast to conservatives as liberals, 93% um, say that liberals can speak freely, um, you know, on campus. So that's that's a very big gap. Conservatives are, are way lower than other groups. We asked about Muslims and LGBT students and Blacks and men and women, and all of those are 80% or higher. A lot of them are in the 90s. So just conservatives really stand out as a group that, that people think maybe don't have the same ability to speak freely as other groups on campus. Now, I'd like to talk a bit about the Knight Foundation. I think many people are familiar with Gallup and its polls, but when it comes to the Knight Foundation and its interest in sponsoring this research, David, can you tell me a bit about why the Knight Foundation chose to do this? Yeah, absolutely. So Knight, um, as a as a foundation, is uh, has a goal of fostering informed and engaged communities, and uh, we do so because we believe that those types of communities are essential for a healthy democracy. Uh, so we invest in journalism, the arts, and the success of cities. Uh, and as part of our of our belief in informed and engaged communities, uh, we believe that that uh, the right to free expression and to freedom of the press are are essential values uh, to to allow for that that type of community, uh, and in, not only do we want to understand uh, the the current state of of the First Amendment and, and the rights that it that it gives us, uh, but also to be able to know uh, or to be able to predict where our, our perceptions of that are going, which is why we've we've invested in in trying to understand how college students see their their rights to free expression, um, as well as we do similar work around high school students, uh, and of course a lot of research around trusted media and uh, how the media play its democratic role, uh, in order to again try and understand where we are in terms of having informed and engaged communities, uh, and how we can make our the cities in which we live and the communities that we're a part of uh, be better informed and be better able to share information and, and uh, gather information about the places where we live. And can you tell me a bit about 
how this fits in with other projects that you're pursuing? Yeah, of course. So uh, we've done we've done quite a bit of research uh, in partnership with Gallup uh, around trusted media. We've looked at uh, trying to understand how people perceive uh, the role that the media plays and and how they're playing it. Uh, looking at accuracy, bias, questions of, of misinformation, uh, trying to understand how um, how social media companies or large internet companies uh, play a role in in disseminating information uh, and in connecting us to each other, uh, and in general, trying to understand how uh, the changes that that exist in the perception of the media affect our our, our democratic process and our, our ability to. Uh, to live in a, in a engaged society, uh, and I mean the connection between between trying to understand trust in media and and this conversation around what college students think about First Amendment issues is that the the conversation on campus is the future conversation of the country, and and the same can be said about our work in in high schools trying to understand similar work, uh, similar perspectives of of the future of the First Amendment, uh, as as we understand how these uh, young people perceive what their right to free expression is. Uh, we have a better idea of what where our country is going in terms of um, this free exchange of ideas. And do you have outreach projects as well where you try to improve the state of affairs? Uh, well, we do fund as part of our journalism program. Uh, we fund organizations um, like the Columbia First Amendment Institute uh, that do. Uh, legal work to to help uh to help uh people that are fighting for first amendment rights uh on in individual cases i think the 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 key here is that as part of our of our larger work looking at uh both media as well as free press and free expression uh the opportunity here to to partner not just with Gallup but with the American Council on Education, the Charles Koch Foundation and the Stanton Foundation uh it, it gives us the opportunity to uh to to not only understand this data for ourselves but uh and I think that's the, the next portion is is key to also be able to share the data and to share the methodology and to share uh, the way in which we are we're getting this information, because not only is the analysis we're doing relevant, but but the ability for others to do similar analyses and to connect with their own work, uh, to connect it to other trends that we see uh, at a national level, and to connect it to to other important events that that we see happen every day. Uh, we think that ability and that that feature is is pretty critical. Now, I'd like to move on to the methods of the study. Some people have done similar studies, but there are some unique aspects to the sampling methodology here. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with the other studies. And most of those are, I guess, what you would just call a convenience sample. Um, a lot of them have used opt-in panels. So they're not random samples, just people who um, were invited to join a panel and did. And there's no... Um, kind of random sampling or representativeness there. And some of those just used whatever college students they happen to have in their panel, which might be, you know, a thousand or, or two thousand in the country. So we don't know where those students are from, you know, if they're balanced, you know, demographically or regionally. I think they may make some attempts to check that, but just the lack of random selection and the lack of people having an equal chance to get into the 
sample is problematic because it just creates unknowns in, in knowing whether it's a good sample or not. So you contrast that with our work, which is based on random sampling. So um, the way we do this, there's really no directory of, of college students out there to draw a random sample from. So what we do is we sample colleges. And when we did that, we kind of divided the colleges up because we know characteristics of the colleges into certain segments based on enrollment and region and public and private status. And within those, um, we sampled. So we got a good cross-section of different types of colleges, um, all randomly selected. Then we approached the colleges and, and the ones that agreed to um, participate. Um, we asked for um, student lists and they provided us those. And from those lists, we drew a random sample. Um, so there's really two stages of random sampling um, in our work. And um, in addition, um, the colleges that agreed to participate, it was a very good um, kind of cross-section of colleges across the country, big ones, little ones, um, private ones, public ones. Um, so we got a good um, cross-section that way. And then just to be sure, um, we weight the sample on the back end just to make sure if, you know, some certain types of colleges or, or students are overrepresented or underrepresented in the sample that we correct for that. So, you know, so that the final sample that we have looks like, you know, uh, what a um, true um, population of, of college students in the U.S. looks like. Um, so one of the things that I talked about the difference in methodology between ours and um, the other surveys, and I alluded to some differences here. So there was a study in particular that asked a question about violence and whether that was acceptable, and they found a higher estimate, 20%. Um, now that could be because of the sampling methods that I, um, you know, differences in methodologies that I discussed. Um, the other thing notable about that and why their um, estimate might be higher, that survey was conducted shortly after the Charlottesville um, incidents um, in 2017. So that was probably fresh in people's minds. So, um, you know, you might expect a higher estimate there because people still have that uh, in mind. And, you know, depending on how you think about what happened there, um, you may think it's, you know, that kind of action is justifiable or not justifiable. Um, so ours was a little bit more removed from that. And, you know, we definitely had better methodology there. Um, so we think our estimate is probably more solid, uh, you know, not as much tied to events. You know, once that event kind of fades into the future, then you would expect um, the people holding that attitude to kind of die down a little bit. So it did. So I think, you know, our 10% is probably more solid estimate of the percentage of students who, you know, think violence is acceptable um, to deter or to prevent speakers from speaking. And I think one of the notable things about the study is that the data are available for download as well. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So would either of you like to tell me if people are interested in following you on Twitter or other social media where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Um, the, I think the, the, the best place to, to find uh, us is following the Knight Foundation Twitter account, which is at KnightFDN. Um, and you'll find not only not only information on on this particular study and as 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 more comes up with it, but uh, a lot of our a lot of our other research and and programmatic work as well. And for us, Gallup.com 
um, would be the place to go. Um, we also have Twitter at Gallup and other social media, Facebook as well. So um, lots of places where you can uh, keep up with what Gallup's doing. Well, Jeff and David, thanks for joining me on the show today. Great. Thank you for having us. You can find links to the report and the data in the show notes. The data are available in CSV, Excel, SAS, Stata, and SPSS formats. My next guest is Julie Ronsky, political science professor at the University of Mississippi. She'll be talking about her paper, A Tale of Two Democrats, How Authoritarianism Divides the Democratic Party. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find out about the show. And if you're interested in similar podcasts, you may also enjoy Clear and Present Danger, A History of Free Speech, hosted by Jakob Mishangama, and Two Psychologists, Four Beers, hosted by Canadian psychologists Yoel Inbar and Michael Inslisht. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Heterodox Academy. Find us online at heterodoxacademy.org, on Twitter at HDX Academy and on Facebook.